Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be doing a review of Mike Winger's review of Reckless Love. And I listened to it, and it was pretty atrocious, so I'm going to force you guys to listen to it too. And so, since I'm a music connoisseur, and I, I listen to all types of music, everything from polka remixes of Fetty Rap... <laughs> The polka remixes of Rihanna. <laughs> to polka remixes of Bohemian Rhapsody. Ah, internet, you got me. All I listen to is polka. But uh, since I ha I'm a music connoisseur of sorts, I think we're just going to take a look at his review and see if what he says is accurate. And at certain times, Mike Winger just goes on and on. So we'll kind of fast forward through some of those parts and hit his main main uh, objections to keep it as short as possible. I mean, he's got a 30-minute review on like a two-minute song. I don't know how long the song is. But Mike Winger, take it away. But we have to look at the meaning of a song because... Music is what you hear when the song is playing, but the lyrics, the lyrics are the thing that you're saying when the song is playing. Like, you're proclaiming those lyrics to be true. You're saying, I believe this, I proclaim this, I declare this. And uh, you're even saying it to God. I mean, could there be any more important person to speak to? And so the lyrics really matter. Uh, I would agree in some manner. There's that uh, song lyric that goes, God, you choose where every lightning bolt strikes. And that strikes me as odd. I mean, there's a lot of weird things that go on with lightning bolts. Like there's that uh, forest service worker who is struck like 12 different times and he just kept surviving. And then he uh, eventually committed suicide because his wife left him or something. That's kind of torturous of God to torture this poor guy with those lightning bolts. And then before lightning rods were invented, God was just targeting all these uh, large objects like trees and stuff. But then once lightning rods were invented, God decided to start striking those lightning rods instead. It's like maybe lightning rods don't work on a concept of physics. Maybe those are just objects that people build that God likes to strike. Is that what's going on there? So, yeah, lyrics do matter. And uh, there's a lot of funny things. Well, I was in this fundamentalist uh, church once and we were singing Amazing Grace out of the hymnals. And uh, they objected to some of the doctrine in it. So they had just like crossed out the words. And so we're, we're going along singing. And then all of a sudden there's like a line crossed out with a new line written. It. it wasn't like a good line or anything. I don't know if they had any creative people at the church to create a good line. But uh, I just thought it was a little bit funny. A little bit funny that they would do that. I mean, is the doctrine of a song that important that you're just going to change some words so that you could salvage the song and still sing it for your ch <laughs> It's goofy. Mike Wigger, let's hear ya. Um, remember this, worship isn't really for you, it's for God, in spite of what, what some recent people have said. Like, worship's for God, not you. That's why he's the object of the worship, not not me, you know? We're all the band, so to speak. The So yeah, our worship gives something to God. Our worship gives value, something of value that God likes. He People bargain to God with their praises. They say, God, if I die, you won't be able to get my praises anymore because I will be dead. So it's not like the Calvinist notion where God can't receive anything of value unto himself and everything on earth is so far beneath him 
that it doesn't actually provide anything of worth to God. Yeah, our worship brings value to God. The audience, when it comes to worship, is God himself. And Jesus told us that God must be worshiped in spirit and truth. So there must be the spiritual vitality. I must be in the spirit, having a genuine spiritual experience as I'm worshiping God. I have to be born again for this to really happen. Um, and then it has to be true. These are Jesus's words, not mine. Now, I say this because some people are going to say, Mike, you're just being a Pharisee and a legalist for even challenging any worship song that makes me feel good and I think that you got to slow down look you don't get to decide what's right and wrong in worship right we observe it we're just trying to look at these songs and say God what do we want to do not do so I'm not gonna care if somebody thinks that I'm being too critical by evaluating I like his preemptively uh, addressing his critics like uh, can I preemptively address my critics some of you guys might say I'm too darn good-looking to be doing this review but uh, let me tell you yeah that uh, looks don't quite matter when you're doing uh, reviews on biblical matters, on biblical songs. I don't know. A song, but I'm also not going to demonize it. So, like, I just want to understand it. And and most of you are probably right there with me. Like, you just can we just talk about it? Can we just understand it carefully, thoughtfully, and move forward from there? So um, these are pretty heavy things. Uh, when, when I bring a worship song, I'm a worship leader and a pastor. But when I bring a worship song to the congregation, I, I'm really taking words and I'm putting them in the mouths of the saints and asking the saints to sing these words to God. And this is so profound. I mean, it is so, so profound. And too many worship leaders and pastors, they, they give songs to the church after not really having even listened to them, right? They just know they're popular. They like the chorus, hadn't even read the lyrics, hadn't really considered them. So that's, that's a big mistake. I don't know if it's as common as he's he's making it out to be. I think uh, pastors are pretty cognizant of what kind of music they're putting out to their congregation. So um, we really shouldn't do that. The worship songs we sing become our theology in our hearts and in our minds. We end up quoting them in hard times. Th these things kind of matter. Um, so. We're going to evaluate the lyrics. We're going to look at the theology behind those lyrics, sometimes really good theology, sometimes uh, really confusing, like what does that mean? And, and in one place in particular, sort of concerning. So we'll talk about that. And then we're going to let the author explain what he meant by reckless when Corey wrote reckless in the lyrics of the song. And I think you'll find that very insightful because he actually explains himself in a Facebook post that I'll be sharing with you uh, as well. So um, I'll give you my, my conclusion right from the front, right? I would sort of sing this song, and I'll, I'll explain that later. I'll, I would sort of sing the song if I was in an environment where they were leading it, but I would not use it in my own fellowship, and I wouldn't recommend others do. And now I'll explain exactly why. Um, but first, I, I need to, to, to get into this. On here, but let's dig into verse one now. So here we are, verse one of the song Reckless, and it says, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You were singing over me. Now we're going to study this like the way we would study a Bible passage, right? So is this, is this literal? Uh, before I spoke a word, God was singing over me? Well, no, not exactly literal. I mean, if you're talking about God singing over you, that's obviously a metaphorical thing. But this is actually pretty biblical. <laughs> actually a metaphorical thing. Biblical, when you think about it. Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they uh, all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So this concept that God's plan and agenda for my life was in place before I was born, that's a beautiful lyric. That's a great concept. What about the, the singing part, though? Well, Zephaniah 317, it says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. 
he will rejoice over you with singing. So this is talking specifically to the, to the Jewish people at that time. But the concept, I think, is a biblical idea that God rejoice, rejoices over us, his people, with singing. There's, there's something beautiful in the relationship between God and his people. And he sings over us. So, there's, so this, this verse, right, so far, I like it. I'll have to stop you there. I, I don't like this first verse. Um, if, if the first part is Jeremiah and the second part is Zephaniah, and they're just mashing these two together. Um, I don't think that's very good theology. And even though Mike Winger likes it because he thinks it's uh, biblical, it, it's one of those quasi-biblical things where, where people are making a Frankenstein monster from different verses. Maybe maybe if it means before I spoke a word like right now today when, I, when I'm wanting to worship you and I haven't spoken yet and, and you're singing over me. Uh, that that would make sense. That that would be that would kind of meet the Zephaniah verse. But I think the author is going for a Jeremiah plus a Zephaniah concept, which is just weird. That's like we're just like we don't we're like uh, in the womb and he's singing over us already before we've done anything. I don't I don't know if that's quite accurate. That's kind of that's kind of weird. Um, I think God sings over His people who He loves and has a relationship with. And that's who the object is in the Zephaniah verse. So, Mike Winger, I'm going to have to depart with you on this very first verse of the song you don't like. You like the first verse. I think it's weird. I think it's a weird concept. Before I spoke a word, God was singing over me. He was already rejoicing in his plans and the salvation that I would receive when I came to Christ uh, and what he would do. And So, he brings his Augustinian notions in. He's uh, His idea that God knows all things in the future, and so God's like eternally singing about people who he knows is eternally going to exist, or he starts singing once they get conceived, knowing where they're going to end up eventually. Eh. That's kind of neat to think about. Very edifying, very God-glorifying, very accurate. Then it goes on, it says, you've been so, so good to me. I love it, okay? So far, I'm loving the song. God has been so, so good to me. I'm personally totally happy with singing repetitiously how good God is over and over again. Some people are against repetition. I recommend that they read the Psalms. <laughs> the in, intense repetition in many of the Psalms is there as an example for how we might come to God with just focusing on one thought and repeatedly with meaning, meaning it, right? Not mindlessly, but repeatedly, not vain repetition, but meaningful repetition, saying it to God. So just saying, God, you've been so, so good to me. I mean, if that's not. In that sense, yeah, he's he's 100% accurate. The Psalms do this repetition over and over, the same phrase. And so when people criticize worship songs for being repetitious, repeating the same lines over and over, it's an invalid criticism. Not biblical, I don't know what is. Um, then it says, before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. And now I'm going to pause for a moment because here I, I come across a lyric and I say, when I try to think about it, I'm not able to. Um, I don't think it actually makes sense, but I'll give you some possible, maybe maybe Corey could explain this lyric. Uh, so he goes over, I'm going to just fast forward through it because he takes a long time. He says, well, maybe it's before I'm a Christian, then you breathed life, and then you're looking at Calvinism. But he says, oh, but not necessarily. It doesn't have to be Calvinism, but it would give the Calvinisms little jitters, you know, that uh, this is a spiritual enabling I think when I read it, and I think it's it's, uh, it's before I became a Christian that uh, you reached out for me, you you gave me life, you you worked in me. 
That's that's what I'm reading this as. And he throws out all, a bunch of different possibilities. And uh, he really doesn't take issue with this verse. He really takes issue once we get to the chorus. And that's just, just uh, fast forward to that. Then you get to the chorus. Okay, so here here's the actual controversial passage in the song. It says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Reckless love of God. Now, let me first hit the word overwhelming here. Is God's love overwhelming? Well, if you're a Calvinist, it is. I mean, so his mind always jumps to Calvinism is what I'm noticing from this video. Normal people, like I could say my wife's love for me is overwhelming. This is a hypothetical that maybe my my wife has like a overwhelming love for me. And normal people would say, oh, that just means she's maybe overbearing. She she's she's too too attached maybe or she she's very, very dependent. Perhaps that's those are the kind of concepts that we would probably get. But uh, he his mind jumps to Calvinism right away. And I, I don't think the author of this this song here is a Calvinist. And he actually probably is an open theist depend or judging judging from his Facebook post explaining his song that Mike Winger pulls up. So I don't think it's Calvinism. And I think jumping straight to Calvinism. Yeah, I think Calvinists have trained Christians to do that. They they see words and their mind jumps to Calvinism because Calvinists grab words like that and they force their meaning and they force it repetitiously, repetitively, repetitively, wherever they interact with other people, they try to force their concepts out there. And so we, we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of Calvinist default thought. We need to reject that. <laughs> Here's another kind of Calvinist type leaning phrase. If I'm a Calvinist, I might like this because God's love, literally, he's, you know, it's irresistible grace. You can't, you can't resist it. I'm not a Calvinist. I, I don't see that, but I could still, I could still probably sing it because God's love is overwhelming in other senses than that it, it, it takes over my will. It, it may rather be, it's just overwhelming in, in the conception of God's love. It's just beyond even my own ability to, to know it, right? So uh, Ephesians talks about this, Ephesians 3, 17. It says, and the context would support that. So overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. And so those three words, they they fit together and they enhance each other and they're they're given similar concepts. It's, it's not three different uh, adjectives. And so that's what he's talking about, this overflowing of love, this love that can't be contained, this unbounded love. And that's what the author is going for. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So there's a spiritual apprehension of Christ's love that goes beyond simple mental, you know, conceptual apprehension of Christ's love. And the prayer is that we would know this love. And so in that sense, overwhelming, yeah, that, that works. That totally works, right? That's legit. His love is never ending. Uh, scripture says love never fails. God is love. God is eternal. His love is never ending. Literally, that's like a, a theological bedrock, you know, statement you can make that God's love never fails and he is love and he's eternal. So his love's never ending. But then we get to the word reckless. Um, and by the way, I do this with worship songs, and you should too. You should think it through. You should ponder it through. You should ask yourself if you can sing this to God and mean it. I think this is just being smart. It's being good, good, faithful Christians uh, that we would be pondering our words we declare to God before declaring them. So reckless. Is God's love reckless? Um, the, the simple answer is 
no, um, in no sense of the word, and I'm going to unpack this now, but in no sense of the word is God's love reckless. Look at that. Look at that. In no sense of the word is God's love reckless. Okay, so when you're dealing with people who don't understand how language works, they'll make these sorts of claims. Like I was talking to this guy on Facebook, and uh, you know, there, we have this English word called decimate. You know where that comes from? It comes from where when the Romans, when they, were, they would punish a legion, what they'd do is they'd, they'd split up into groups of 10, they'd draw lots, and the unlucky person, the nine per people, would kill that one. So the original uh, definition of decimate was to reduce by a tenth, basically. And, but no one, no one in modern society uses the word to mean that. Absolutely zero per people. You, you'll hear it on Facebook. You'll hear it on a TV, a television show, a movie. Zero people use the word decimate to mean reduce by one tenth. Because language evolves. It changes uh, it, definitions based on uh, cultural context. It, it accumulates new meaning. If I say, wow, that that uh, trick that guy did on that skateboard was sick. What I'm, I'm not saying that it's like uh, that it's, it's going to contaminate me with disease. I'm saying, oh, that's cool because now sick has uh, taken on. I might be like five, ten years too slow with this uh, idiom. But sick has uh, come come up with this uh, new idiomatic meaning to mean cool or or hip or or trendy, something like that. And so let's let's just take a look at this word, reckless, reckless. He's going to pull up a dictionary and he's going to go over dictionary definitions and insist that in no sense of the word can this be true. And and how does how does that function? How does that function? Sometimes words are used in hyperbolic senses. Can it be used in a hyperbolic sense? Can it be used in a sense to to heighten the context that it's found in? Mike Winger, that's one sense, right? Can it be used in a hyperbolic sense? I remember back to high school, I had this one teacher who was, who's the Mike Winger of high school teachers. And he said, well, I was watching football the other day. And the announcer said, that guy, that defensive lineman was a literal brick wall out there. He said he's literal. No, he wasn't a literal brick, brick wall. It was a figurative brick wall. Well, Mr. High School Teacher who doesn't understand how language works and functions, literal has taken on a figurative meaning that just heightens or exaggerates or gives emphasis to what follows. That's a proper use of the word literal in how our language functions in society. So yeah, language doesn't function with hard and fast rules. So don't be listening to anyone who claims, oh, this must be that. There's no sense of this word, which could mean this. There's a ton of different senses in which this word could be used. Could it be used sarcastically, ironically? Could be used in a deceptive sense. It could be used hyperbolic sense. It could be used in a literal sense. I, there's, there's a lot of different senses that this could, in fact, work. And, and I think the author is using it in a literal sense. And is accurate on top of that. So, Mike Winger, you're wrong on so many levels. So many levels. So here's the definition of the word reckless. Of a person or their actions, it's an adjective. And it, it means without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. Example, reckless driving. Now, you might... <laughs> Example, reckless driving. Uh, how many people have been charged with reckless driving in America? How many... Uh, of those times they're charged with reckless driving. 
Were they doing something without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action? I remember my friend took us out in a blazer in a field and we were just doing like uh, cookies and driving everywhere. Everyone was having a huge blast. Yeah, you could call that reckless driving. But uh, it was done with thought, done with purpose. It was uh, done for the thrill of it, right? And, And so even... Even in the dictionary use of reckless, we, we see that language is flexible. It doesn't have hard and fast defined meanings. I think, oh, we could still use that. He didn't care about the consequences of his actions, but that's not true. When Jesus went to the cross, all he cared about was the consequences of his actions. He was redeeming the world, and he cared about that a lot. God so loved the world. That's not reckless. That is targeted and intentional. That is all about the actions and the results of those actions. And we find the cross is not a reckless act. God's done a lot of reckless acts in the Bible. If you read the Bible, it's a love story between God and man. And God keeps trying to reach men in some sort of way, in some sort of method. And his methods keep not uh, connecting, not going through, not uh, getting fulfilled. And uh, he laments to Israel in Isaiah 5. He says, what more could I have done to you that I have not done? He keeps trying everything he can. This is reckless love, right? If he keeps failing, he keeps reaching out. He keeps putting himself out there. He keeps being vulnerable. God is vulnerable. He makes himself vulnerable and keeps getting burned. That sounds pretty reckless to me. And Jesus was the ultimate uh, accumulation of all of this. It was it was the, the pinnacle of God's salvation attempts for mankind. Whereas Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. God's only son came to earth and died for our sins. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the concept. This is God putting himself out, being vulnerable. This You can, you can use the word reckless. You can. John the Baptist, when he was approached by the Jews, remember, they said, you know, what if all mankind rebels? neglects God and uh, not all mankind, all of Israel, right? Because the promises were to Israel. And uh, John the Baptist said, God can make new children out of these rocks. There was a chance. There is a chance that everyone could reject God. He has contingency plans. He has ways to deal with uh, eventualities, but uh, it's it's not, it's not this uh, cool collective plan that is has all the details figured out from all eternity that Mike Winger is having it. He he wants non-reckless. He wants completely safe. And uh, Elridge has all those books. What is it? Uh, Wild at Heart, where he talks about how God is not safe. God's not safe. God, God takes risks. God lives in an adventure with us. And yeah, in that sense, his love is reckless. So, Mike Winger, let's let's hear what you have to say. At, at all, in any sense of the word, um, the synonym <laughs> in a lot of different senses. In a lot of different senses. Names of reckless. I mean, just look at these: rash, careless, thoughtless, heedless, unheeding, hasty. I mean, you, you just look at these things: impulsive, impetuous. Like th- these these are not descriptors of God. Who, before I was born, He was singing over me. Before I was even alive, God was loving me. God was planning out the, the, the path of salvation. All this stuff was planned out. That's not reckless. That's the opposite of reckless. So now I want to look at what, what you could sing if you wanted to sing this song. You could easily switch out the word reckless with the word selfless. God's love is not reckless. It's selfless. Over the, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending self. 
What, what's, what's the difference between being reckless and selfless? Extreme selflessness is recklessness, right? Right, my Quinger? Selfless love of God. Agree there? Selfless. In fact, selfless is exactly what God's love is. Disregard to his own self on behalf of caring and loving for others. Jesus comes, he dies, he suffers, the Father sends the Son, and there is this sacrifice, this cost, this self-cost that he gives for us. So uh, you could just sing selfless instead of reckless. I think that would be fine. But now we're going to look at what Corey says. Corey is the guy who wrote the song, and he, on his Facebook page, uh, explained the song a while back. I found this, and I thought it was really insightful. Um, I was actually, I'll be honest, I was actually more concerned about the song after. Corey, you're my homeboy. After reading this than before. Um, so let's look at what he says here. He says, many have asked me for clarity on the phrase reckless love. Many have wondered why I'd use a negative word to describe God. I've taken some time to write out my thoughts here. I hope it brings answers to your questions. But more than that, I hope it brings you into an encounter with the wildness of his love. Um, just pause for a second. We're, we're now going to step into the realm of one kind of off phrase after another after another because people... I, I think we already stepped into that. That was the Mike Winger review video like, remember I said this earlier, people like a new way of saying an old thing. I can't just say God loves you. I have to say God has wild love for you. I can't just say God cares about you. He, he's, he's paid the price for your sins. I have to say he recklessly abandoned his own. I don't have to, like, it, it's as though the normal English language just isn't enough to communicate. So I have to add things. The problem is when we add things that don't actually ring true. Where I you better not read the Psalms at all. I think you'd uh, reject a lot of stuff in there. Try to evoke a reaction from you, from your heart, by circumnavigating right past your head, <laughs> by using phraseologies that just aren't actually true. So here we go. Let's let's dig into what Corey says. He says, um, uh, when I use the phrase reckless love, uh, when I use the phrase the reckless love of God, I'm not saying that God himself is reckless. I am, however, saying that the way he loves is in many regards quite so. What I mean is this. He's utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regard to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. Okay, this extreme selflessness is recklessness. Corey has it on the nose. It's literal. He's using a literal use of the word. And uh, Mike Winger has a problem. This is just not true. Not it's true. just not true. And now look at the first paragraph of Corey's statement. He says people were bothered because he used the word a negative word. The problem isn't that the word reckless is negative. The problem is the word reckless is not true. No, the problem is that the word reckless bumps up against your theology in which God has the entire future settled from all eternity and nothing takes him by surprise. It's it's a a biblical God. It's a a biblical, not biblical. It's not the God we find in the Bible who takes risks and, and takes adventure with his people and uh, accomplishes things and and interacts and has give and take relationships and and sends his own son to die on the cross. So whosoever shall believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. This this is the God of the Bible. And uh, but uh, Mike Winger doesn't like that God because that God takes too many risks and and risk taking is is not a virtue. It, it's a virtue anywhere else in life. Risk takers who who innovate and get things done, like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, uh, the great innovators of uh, the modern world, they take risks. 
But uh, God can't take risks, according to Michael Wager. This is really important because his whole thing, this whole statement that you've got here is not a response to the real issue in in the song, which is God's love is not reckless. It's not, hey, that's a negative word. I don't like the way that feels. But because Corey kind of is operating in the realm of feeling, he responds to people's negative feelings about the song rather than the actual factual. How about this? Alternative explanation that a lot of people attacked him for that very issue. And then he's writing for the reasons they attacked him. And since you're operating on a different wavelength about some different issue, you're projecting what people's normal problems are. I would think that Corey would have a little bit of a firmer grasp on the negative reactions he's been receiving than Mike Winger. Issues with the song. At least that's how it appears to me. So he says in his defense of the song that um, that God's love is reckless in many regards, quite so. That's what he says there in the second paragraph. He's reckless with regard to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. Now, again, that is not reckless, guys. That is selfless. That's not what reckless means. So all he did was say, God's reckless. Here's the example. He's selfless. That's He's defining it so that he defined the word that he used. So typically, if you're communicating to someone and then they define the words that they're using, you can't say, that's not a definition of that word. I just defined it for you. So now you know what I'm saying when I say this word. Uh, let's keep moving on. And people who are really into semantics and re- really care about uh, word definitions, they'll sit and argue the definition of a word. These are the people to avoid in life. They, <laughs> they're not rational people. It's like, listen, dude, I define the word. Let's move on. But when you're talking about how an author uses the word, uh, that's, a, that's a different thing, right? Because uh, you, you need to try to figure out between you and the person you're arguing with, how that person viewed that word in what context and how are they using it. And pulling up a dictionary doesn't doesn't help more often than not because words, of course, are flexible. They have a variety of meaning and meaning is dependent on context. And dictionaries are a good guiding tool to point us in the right direction, but they're not the be-all, end-all. It's not how language works. Unfortunately, Corey, you haven't defended your statement at all here. You're just redefining words. Um, His love isn't crafty or slick, he goes on. It is not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's quite childlike. And might I even suggest some sometimes downright ridiculous. Okay, when you accuse God's love of being downright ridiculous as a way of defending having said that his love is reckless, You've, you've got to realize, like, you're just confirming the suspicions of people who might have concerns. When you say God's love is ridiculous. Look at that. Look at that. He's, he's got a big issue with uh, words here. All right, going to dictionary.com. Uh, you know, we're doing the Mike Winger technique where we pull up a dictionary. Uh, ridiculous. Causing or worthy of ridicule or derision, absurd, preposterous, laughable. Yeah, a lot of atheists laugh at uh, the way God operates in the Bible. And so, yeah, you could use that and then subvert it and say it's a good thing and still use the adjective ridiculous. So a subversive use of the word ridiculous, that's, that's a good, uh, good use for a songwriter if that's what they're doing. But I think the songwriter is more of using the slang. Definition number two, absurdly or unbelievably good, bad, crazy, etc. Oh, look at that. It's a hyperbolic word, a word that that implies an extreme of whatever it's defining. Huh. 
hmm, Mike Winger, you need to read the dictionary more. I don't, I don't think I'd be saying that in, in this uh, conversation, in this review. But Mike Winger, you need to read, read the dictionary more before you get all offended. Is chi- childlike, childlike is actually could be a compliment uh, to, to a left, but that doesn't mean that it's not thought thought out and planned out and prepared and all that other sort of thing. So he, he says, uh, God's love isn't crafty or slick. Okay, I wouldn't really call it crafty or slick. Like, does anybody say God's love is, that's not really responding to the real problems of the song. Uh, he says it's not cunning or shrewd. And there I actually disagree. God's love is very cunning and quite shrewd. And actually the word the Bible uses is wisdom. God's love is used in wisdom. He has incredible amounts of wisdom. And specifically this wisdom is demonstrated on the cross. First Corinthians 10 verse. So a lot of Mike Winger's criticisms uh, revolve around not understanding. Maybe there's a breakdown in communication between him and Corey. Corey will use a word and Mike Winger will have his own definition and he won't uh, try to think of exactly what uh, Corey's definition of that word is. Just just like uh, cunning and shrewd. Those have negative connotations. So Corey's probably talking about those negative connotations of those words. And now Mike Winger's falling back on and more obscure definitions. So if you're talking to someone, if someone writes a song and they're the song author um, and they say a word's defined a specific way in their song, that's the correct definition. That is the correct definition. So and and if, if it makes logical sense to you, you shouldn't feel bad singing those lyrics. But Mike Winger, uh, it seems like he's operating off of multiple standards. He's he's not being generous. I would say he's being somewhat generous to Corey, but he's he's not being he's not putting himself in Corey's shoes and trying to figure out Corey's mindset uh, in detail. It, First Corinthians one verse thirty it says, "But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God." and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, right? To the world, it may be foolishness, the scripture says, but it's great wisdom. What Jesus did was so wise. He reconciled the world to himself through one sacrifice. Uh, I, I have zero, zero doubt in my mind. Corey would say that uh, God's love is wise, that God is wise, that God has wisdom. I don't think this is a fundamental difference between uh, Mike Winger and this uh Corey guy. I don't know the guy's last name. The, the song author, right? I think Mike Winger is making a mountain out of a molehill. He's, he's just finding reasons to complain. He brought all together through, through just Jesus. Like this is incredible wisdom. It was well thought out. It was well planned out. It was very tactful and thoughtful. That's how the Bible seems to describe what Jesus did. Not um, crafty or slick, but but I would say, yes, cunning, even shrewd, very wise, very thoughtful, very careful. He is wisdom. Yeah, so there's a difference between God's love, God's emotion, God's feelings, and then God's plans that he he implements. And like, for example, I might overly love a lady, right? My, my love for her might be overflowing, overwhelming. We'll use uh, these, these uh, language that uh, our friend Corey uses. And but I might be very shrewd using Mike Winger's word here, shrewd, using a lot of wisdom in order to capture her affections. You know, a lot of girls don't like overwhelming guys. And so if you do have that overwhelming love for that lady, it's it's wise not to display it when you can, because that's a big turnoff to ladies. So so I could use 
myself being shrewd in order to capture her affections while at the same time having this overwhelming love. So I don't think Corey fundamentally disagrees with you, Mike Winger. I think you're finding reasons to disagree. Them from God. Then Corey goes on and unfortunately he, I think, I think he makes things worse. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I want us to get inside the mindset that embraces this sort of recklessness when it comes to worship. This is the mindset that I think is here. And I, I say this in all love. Yeah, Mike Winger is going to have a lot of problems with the Psalms. The Psalms use a lot of hyperbole. It uses a lot of metaphorical language. It uses a lot of imagery. It uses a lot of uh, what Mike Winger would call anthropomorphism, that God hid his face and turn your face, shine upon me. That type of language is going to be all over the Psalms. And pulling up dictionaries and then criticizing word choice. You know, if people... <laughs> Uh, people are funny. They they uh, ascribe different standards to the Bible than they do to others. Like Calvinists, they'll get mad at people if you say, well, I'm going to try to save that guy. And they'll say, you don't do any saving. Well, well, Paul talked like that. Paul used that language. So why aren't you criticizing Paul of the Bible? And, and, you know, they, Paul was not a Calvinist. And, and he talked like that freely without any, there's, he, he didn't pause. There wasn't any second thought about uh, Calvinist eschatology, uh, Calvinist predestination, anything like that in Paul's mind. He just used the language like normal. James does the same. And you know, so Mike Winger has probably a different standard that he has for this uh, Corey Ashbury than he does for the Bible, the biblical authors. And that's easy to do because we, we allow our biases sometimes to direct how we're talking and to whom we're talking. And and I think he's getting a little kick over and tearing apart this song. Of Corey, I don't mean to disrespect you. Your song's being sung by millions and millions of people. I'm addressing the song. I'm not attacking you. Real quick, for those who think, Mike, Matthew 18, did you go to Corey personally? I understand your concern. You've not read Matthew 18. Who's his critics? Who are these critics? I, I don't doubt that they exist. They probably exist somewhere. But who is it? Who's that guy? Did you go to Corey personally? Like, shove it. Shove it, dude carefully that's if someone sins against you personally what i'm doing with this channel what i'm doing when i uh, confront or deal with maybe even a christian brother is i'm dealing publicly with public teaching and that is always handled publicly even in the bible it's normal this is this is a gracious and thoughtful way of doing it i'm not violating scripture i say that because i read the comment section <laughs> so i know what's coming um so according to Corey, he says that god's love bankrupted heaven for you bankrupted heaven for you picking up where i had left off um, that's not quite accurate. Again, it feels good, but it's not. <laughs> that's not accurate. Uh, so there's a concept in economics. Uh, the cost of something is what you give up to get it. And so if I stand in line for a $500 tickets or to the Super Bowl, I don't know how much the Super Bowl costs or something. I stand in a line for an hour to get those uh, tickets. Not only did I give up my hour, but I gave up those $500. I gave up what I could have been doing with that hour, playing video games, hanging out with the family, working, uh, cleaning the house. I gave up all those things in order to get those Super Bowl tickets and the money and the money and what I could have got with that money. The cost of something is what you give up to get it. And so if someone wants to like our, our, our friend, uh, Todd white, that guy with dreadlocks, who's talking about, uh, how Jesus has ultimate value. And since God used Jesus and used him to pay for us that we have ultimate value. Yeah. Those concepts work. And Corey Ashburn is not wrong that 
that heaven was bankrupt on behalf of us. Uh, this is just Econ 101, so this is just a side lesson in economics for Mr. Mike Wigger as we do the show. So either you don't think that uh, Jesus has ultimate infinite value or Corey Ashbird is right. You got you to gotta take your pick. Strictly true. Um, and I see a danger in things that feel good but aren't exactly true. That's a danger for us. That's not a good thing. Um, so let's continue. He then goes on and he says this. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. God doesn't wonder. Like, it doesn't... I'm sorry... This is not true. This is a lot of untruth being crammed into a small space. You know, of course God knows what he'll gain and lose by putting himself, quote, out there. It says he simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. Now, this disagrees with the earlier part of the song that actually said that God, you know, he was singing over me before I was born. And now it's almost like God doesn't know what will happen. He just kind of. Maybe, maybe it's a contradiction. Maybe if that uh, Jeremiah was being uh, combined with Zephaniah. But he really has an issue here that God doesn't know. I don't know if Corey is being hyperbolic. God doesn't know the exact benefit or the exact gain that he's going to get in return for Jesus' sacrifice. And I would say that's accurate. And uh, Mike Wigger, he takes issue. He's like, hey, Jesus, uh, you know, son, I want you to die on the cross. The son, God, the son says to the God, the father, is anyone really you know, going to care. And, and God's like, the father's like, I don't even know. Maybe, maybe people will get saved. Maybe they won't. Let's just try it out and see what happens. That With any sufficiently large population, you, you could bet that at least one person on margin is going to do some sort of action. But anyways, regardless, regardless, I think maybe Corey was being a little bit hyperbolic about in that statement. And he just means that God doesn't know the exact results of what's going to come back. You know, may, maybe there is a possibility that all of Israel would reject him. Like John the Baptist talks about, that God could even have contingency plans for those eventualities, even if they're not very probable eventualities. But John the Baptist, do you criticize John the Baptist, Mike Winger? Uh, do, do you have a video criticizing his uh, talk to the Pharisees about God's contingency plan if in case he's totally rejected by everyone? Mike Winger, is that video here? Uh, let's look at let's look at your page there. Let's look through this. Yeah, not seeing it. Not seeing your criticisms of John the Baptist. Might be there somewhere. Anyways, uh, Mike Winger, just just send me a private message. DM me on the download with your criticisms of John the Baptist. Uh, your video on that. That's that's weird. Like that's, I mean, maybe he's an open theist. Maybe that's, that's the view. He didn't really know what was going to happen. Yeah. John the Baptist was an open theist. Oh, we're talking about Corey again. Yeah. Corey's probably an open theist too. With the cross. Um, but actually scripture disagrees with this. Hebrews 12, two, it says that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus knew what he was purchasing with his blood. He knew who he was going to be saving. That's what you got from that? You, you you got what and who from that? No, he, he understands what he's doing. Uh, the purpose of his sacrifice. That's what that's. And there's no eternal list of names. And we talked about this in the book of Revelations, how the, how the book of life functions, how names are added and removed based on people who come to Jesus, who, who become saved or become God-fearers, uh, worship God. 
That's that's how this book functions. It's not an exact list of names, and Mike Winger would like to think it does. And so that, in part, is why he has this emotional reaction. Through this act, he knew exactly who. So there's no surprise to God. There's no doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. This is really, uh, it's weird. It's weird theology. It's not theology. I don't know what it is. It's not theology. It's not the. It's not the study of God. It sounds like the study of God. It sounds like this is this is all theology. This this whole thing is talking about the nature and character of God, which I think that's the core definition of theology, Mike Quigger. So we might need to go to the dictionary on that one too. Let's pull up a dictionary. But anyways, we're getting pretty long, and uh, I'll have to trim this and make it a little shorter. Oh, Mike Winger, uh, my favorite uh, Mike. I don't know if he's my favorite Mike. Maybe my second favorite Mike. I, I probably have a better Mike out there that I know. But Mike Winger, my second favorite Mike in the world. Have a nice night. It's my-